In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, today we are taking up the theme that God treasures all human life, without exception, without asterisk. And this is the uh, basis of our sermon today for, for Sanctity of Life Sunday. Now, uh, sadly, many people, probably most people in one way or another in this world, like to put exceptions to what it means to be human. Uh, back when I was studying abroad in, in Athens, Greece, I was uh, studying there in college, studied there for a semester. It was a, it was a great blessing. I got to see a lot of the places where St. Paul himself had walked and got to learn a lot about ancient culture and really was a great blessing to me and it has helped me certainly a great bit as a pastor. Down in the small market area of Athens, there at that time was a sandal maker. He was pretty aged at this time. He's probably passed away by now, I would guess. And he was making sandals already back in the 1960s. He was a very famous sandal maker. He was so famous that when the Beatles came to play in Athens, John Lennon and all of his fellow band members went on down to buy sandals from him. He had pictures in his sandal shop of John Lennon and Paul McCartney buying his sandals and so on. So a friend of mine, he, he went down to this famous sandal maker to buy sandals from him. And you see, this man was famous not just because of the fact that he made sandals, but also because he was a poet. And with every purchase of sandals, uh, he'd actually put a poem of his in there with the box of, of the sandals that he would give you. So my friend went and purchased those sandals and he, he came back to our apartment to open it up and uh, to try on the sandals and to take a look at this poem that this man had written. Now, you might think that this guy would have had some sort of wonderfully floral and sensitive poem. I mean, this guy kind of seems like a, a hippie, right? I mean, he's writing in the 1960s. He's making sandals, he's writing poetry, the Beatles are coming and buying sandals from him. But he opens up this box and he takes out the poem, and the poem is basically about how much he hates the Turks, the people of Turkey. It's a poem just full of vitriol against the Turks. Why? Well, the Turks had ruled over the Greeks for a period of a few hundred years. And because of this, to this day, many Greeks just have nothing good to say about the Turks. And it was full of all these terrible things they wished that would happen to the Turks. And the final line of the poem, he said, because the Turks have no soul. Turks have no soul. It's a commonplace across all humanity, no matter who you are or what culture you come from. That people believe that it is wrong to do evil 
to, to kill, to hurt, to injure innocent human life. But it's also a commonplace across cultures. The people, in order to enact the violence that they want to do, they put asterisks behind certain groups of people and say, these people are not fully human. That's what that sandal maker was doing to the Turks. Saying these people are not fully human. But this is not limited, as I said, to sandal makers in Greece. Anthropologists, when they were studying some of the last remaining headhunter tribes in the South Asian Pacific area, they went and asked them, why do you do what you do? Why do you go and jump over the walls of the village a few miles off and do that violence? Without exception, they had the same answer. Are those people over there? They're not fully human. They're not people. And that's at the heart of the book of Jonah. And that's at the heart of the exceptions that so many people today make to the humanity of others. Jonah has a lot of the same reasons for him to discount the humanity of the Assyrians, a lot of the same reasons that many Greeks at least discount the humanity of Turks. Uh, who is Jonah? And, and why was he so reluctant to go preach to Nineveh? A lot of us are familiar with the story of Jonah, at least one detail of the story of Jonah. We're familiar with the fact that he was swallowed by a whale or a fish, right? Some great sea creature he's swallowed up by. We know that detail. We know that fact. There's a whole lot more to that story. Why was he swallowed up by that fish? It's because Jonah didn't want to go and preach the sermon that God wanted him to preach. God told him to go and preach to Nineveh that they might repent and so he could have mercy on them. Instead of going to Nineveh, which is in the east, he gets in a ship and goes off to Tarshish, which is on the other side of the world as they knew it in that time in the west. He goes in the exact opposite direction. He doesn't want to even get close to preaching this sermon that God calls him to preach to Nineveh. And why? Nineveh was the capital city of a great empire known as Assyria. Now, one of the great twists of faith, this is actually a people that's still around. It's, it's fascinating that this people are still present today. They're still Assyrians and they're Christian now. I kind of love that detail of the story. And, and Christian, despite great persecution, mind you, why? Well, they live in northern Iraq, in southern Turkey, in the midst of Muslims all around them. And 
Back in the time of Jonah, Islam didn't exist. The, I'm not entirely sure what, uh, what the religious life of the Assyrians were like. I've got some notions, but I'd have to go back and review the, the literature a little bit about this. But the fact of the matter is they did not believe in the one true God. Not only this, but they were enemies of the people of the one true God. The Assyrians were one of the great military superpowers in their time. Known for their violence. In fact, the Assyrians glorified in their violence. A few years ago, I went down to a museum in Chicago. It's on the campus of the University of Chicago. If you're ever down there, you should go visit it. It's, uh, it's the, it used to be called the Oriental Institute. That's not politically correct now, so they renamed it to something else. I don't even know what they call it now. Uh, but at the Oriental Institute, they have all kinds of artifacts from places like Assyria, places like Egypt, places like Canaan, the Holy Land. And one of the artifacts they have there is a sculpture that you put up against the wall. And that sculpture depicts archers walking over the dead bodies of their enemies. That was in an Assyrian palace. That's how much they valued just how warlike and how brutal they were. When the Assyrians came in, they didn't leave anything in their wake. This is why when the Assyrians came through, they, they wiped out the entire northern kingdom of Israel. It just essentially vanished, disappeared, became an artifact of history. Jonah. Jonah doesn't want to go preach to the Ninevites because of the terrible things they had done to God's people. And so he goes in the other direction. God has other plans for him. God's plans won't be thwarted. And so he gets cast overboard in the midst of the storm, swallowed up by this great fish, vomited up on land, and finally Jonah goes ahead and walks to Nineveh. When he gets to Nineveh, he carries out God's command in the most minimal way possible. How big is Nineveh? It's a three days journey across it. How far does Jonah walk into the city one day? He doesn't go into the city center. He stays on the outskirts of the city. And he goes in and he preaches one of the shortest sermons that has literally ever been preached. Now, you may ask yourself, why in the world does Pastor Chris preach so long? And I know I preach longer than the typical Lutheran pastor. It's because I love you. That's why. If I preached shorter, I'd be a little bit more like Jonah. Do you want me to get swallowed by a fish? Don't answer that question. He goes in and he preaches one of the shortest sermons ever preached. And I actually don't like the translation of this in the ESV because it puts this exclamation point on there. There's no punctuation in ancient Hebrew. I don't think... This is an exclamation there. Here's what I think Jonah goes and does. He walks in one day into the city and he says, 
Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he turns around and he walks the other direction. He preaches that sermon in the most minimal way possible. And he goes out to the city, out of the city. And he finds himself a vantage point that he can watch over the city. He's hopeful that nobody heard him. He's hopeful that even if somebody did hurt him and didn't get up to the highest levels, he's hopeful that they won't repent. And therefore, God won't show mercy on them. And that the same fate will happen to them that happened to other enemies of God's people. For example, the Sodomites, the Gomorites, and so on. Then there's this interesting thing that happens. Jonah chapter 4. If you brought your paper Bibles, open it up to it. If you don't have a paper Bible, you have permission to play on your phone. And open up your Bible app and read along. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade so they should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plants? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plants. Which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Here's actually a little bit of a sense of humor, a little bit of a humorous verse here in the Bible. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, which there are more than 120 persons, thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. <laughs> what is God saying to Jonah? He's saying, look, you're so worked up about this plant. You pity over this plant. But you don't care about this city. The yes may contain warriors in it that... that Maybe enacted war against your people, perhaps. But certainly full of old men. Past military age. Certainly full of women. Certainly full of children. Full of innocent life. You pity this plant. But you don't have pity over the city full of people. God shows how different his heart is. Jonah was ready, willing to put an asterisk, an exception next to the Ninevites to say these people, they aren't really people. 
There's something less. They aren't fully human. And therefore don't deserve human pity. God is not like that. Doesn't make those exceptions. The same as it always was. The same as it is. And the same it will be until Christ's return. That sadly, people are all too ready to put exceptions, asterisks, next to the humanity of others. Many people do this for the unborn. On the Sanctity of Life Sunday, this is particularly on our minds. That's why we parade the litany, by the way. The litany reminds us not to put asterisks behind anybody. Whether this is our enemies, the unborn, or the infant, we said it right in the litany. Many people even as sadly put asterisks next to infants. It's pretty shocking development in certain circles of academia where they are saying certain individuals, certain quote-unquote ethicists, saying that children even up to about five months or so don't really have human rights. But it's not only the unborn. Others put asterisks next to the sick, next to the elderly, next to the disabled. People put asterisks next to those who have a different skin tone than them, next to those who speak different languages, next to those of different cultures, next to those of different countries. My prayer for you this day is to see others the way God sees them, without exception, without asterisk, to see all human life, no matter who, no matter what condition, as beloved by God, worthy of our human sympathies, worthy of our human care. Praise be to the Lord. God made no exception for us. I want you to fill in the blank here. For God so loved the... Say it again. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So whoever believes in Him should not perish, have everlasting life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.